yeah. helps to co- co- yeah. cooperate. Co- cooperate. 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 That's a hard word. Corroborate. Corroborate. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings, creatures. I'm Rochelle. I'm Kaylee. And we are Paranoia Percentage. We're just two girls who are a little anxious about our world. We're fascinated by cryptids, machination theories, and everything weird. So if you like what we do here, don't forget to hit that like button. And subscribe to our channel. So today we're talking about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Long time coming. <laughs> Finally. And we actually had a guest speaker. That was Zach Sterick from the Illinois Monster Hunters Organization. The Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois Monster Hunters Monster. Organization. My bad. <laughs> they talk about and, and research all sorts of different cryptids, mm-hmm. in especially in the Southern Illinois area. They literally go, at, they are monster hunters. They go out on these expeditions mm-hmm. and they try to find these cryptids. Terrifying. Uh, but I would so not do that. <laughs> I still would. <laughs> but... Zach is particularly really well versed mm-hmm. in Bigfoot and I think that's his cryptid of choice. I think so too. If we were all cryptids, of course you would be Nessie. Oh yeah. And he would be Bigfoot. Oh, absolutely. I have no idea what I would be. Tell me in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> the two of us are gonna kind of talk about origins and mm-hmm. some proof behind it, and Zach has some really, really great anecdotes, especially his own sightings. Today we have a special guest. We have our local Bigfoot expert. No. Not expert. Not expert. Oh, okay. There is no... There you go. Okay. Enthusiast. You're an expert compared to us. Well, I'll tell you this much. I've been doing uh, research now, not just in Bigfoot, but in cryptozoology now the past 16 years and wow. anybody will go and tell you there is whenever it comes to cryptozoology there is no such thing as an expert because we are constantly learning new things people come up with new theories every day that they stem as fact and then they get proved wrong it's like a chessboard it's ever changing until you get to the end you have a bunch of origin um like where I, it comes from i right? do well i don't know that a bunch is the correct but Here we go. It looks like a bunch. (laughs) The term Bigfoot actually dates back to 1958, so not so far. uh, That's really not that long ago. It's really not that. Now, that's just, that's not the Bigfoots themselves, the the creature. That's just the actual term Bigfoot. There was a journalist for the Humboldt Times named Andrew Ginzoli, and he got a letter from a reader about loggers in North Carolina who had discovered a set of very large footprints. How big? Pretty big. Like bigger than a person, for sure, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, bigger than bigger than a human, for sure. He's quoted in the, uh, the column that he wrote alongside this letter he received as saying, maybe we have a relative of the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. Later, he said that he thought the mysterious footprint story would make a really fun Sunday morning story, but Surprisingly, to him at least, it really fascinated readers, and so he actually wrote follow-up articles about the footprints, uh, reporting the name the loggers had given to the creature, which was Big Foot. Two words, Big Foot. What a creative name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) and that's how the Bigfoot term was born. 
So how did you get into your Bigfoot interest? Well, it actually started back in August of 2004, oh, wow. whenever I had my first encounter. I was nine years old. Um, I was up in Randolph County, Illinois, outside of Redbud. Okay. And I was with my dad at the time. And he took me to a Cardinals baseball game in St. Louis. Nice. And so it was a night game, and it was August. It was right before harvest season and everything. The corn was high on the long side of the road because we lived right off of this road. It was just clear night that night. There was no moon. And then we had to go in this garage that was built onto the house. So we had to go around back, come in the back door, and then next thing you know, the coyotes outside just started howling and yipping and raising all kinds oh, of fuss. Sad. But then this is where it got really weird because when we was at there in the garage and the coyotes started going, then this scream came out from amongst them. And I mean, it had so much power in it, it rattled the windows on the garage. When you say scream, like like a, like a lady, like ah, no, type of it was. Very guttural, but I mean, it was enough to scare me. Of course, I was nine years old at the well, time. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was about ready to rip the door off the hinge trying to get in the house. I was so terrified. I don't blame you. And so that's how it started for me was hearing the call of the Bigfoot for the first time. And then... So that kind of sparked something in you to, I have to figure out what this exactly. is and all about it. You, you hit the nail right on head, Kaylee. Um, I was looking for closure, you know, into yeah. what I was actually, I encountered. Right. And, but it took me 10 years to actually go and find my closure. I found a recording on YouTube uh, called the Ohio Moaning Call that was recorded back in 1994 by Matt Moneymaker of the BFRO. Okay. listen to that and I heard it my heart sank and I called my dad in the room and I said listen to this and I hit play and his eyes got really big and I said that sounded familiar to you and he said yeah it does and, and I said that's exactly what we heard 10 years ago yeah and even to this day he still brushes it off and he says it never happened and everything but I can remember I'm 26 years old now and this happened whenever I was nine I can remember that night just like it happened. It last was just night. so visceral in the moment. Oh, it was impactful. But I, it was at the same time I was scared, but more I was more wanting to know you know more about this. Right. And whenever I had finally made the decision and realization, you know, that it was a Bigfoot that I had heard that night, it started as from a mission to find closure in what I'd heard and it turned into a mission to prove, you know, that Bigfoot does exist in Southern Illinois and not only Southern Illinois, but around the world. Expedition Bigfoot is kind of a limited documentary series. Okay. And during this documentary series, they found uh, what they believed to be nesting sites, which Zach has also found, mm -hmm. footprints, and they recorded vocalizations. Okay. One of the vocalizations that they recorded was originally when they recorded it, they didn't notice anything because the uh, the recorded range, the vocalization was below what humans can hear. It was a lower frequency than we're able to pick up. But after they digitally enhanced it and they, they brought the frequency up, they were able to hear this vocalization. You're gonna find more photographic evidence like footprints, hair samples, tree structures. You're gonna find those 
more than you will an actual video of Bigfoot. And there's only like one video out there that has been disputed, but it stood the test of time. And that was the Patterson-Gimlin footage. And it was recorded at Bluff Creek, California back on October 20th of 1967. How do you remember these dates? <laughs> I have actually spoken to the last surviving member of that day, Bob Gimlin. Oh, wow. Here's the thing, they went and they're trying to go and say that it was a hoax because back then, I don't know if you might remember the TV show Lie Detector. Uh-uh. Where they would have people come on the show and they would give them a polygraph test live on television. That's not how you do an official lie detector test. No. <laughs> this is how they did it. There was a man that came out that said his name was Bob Aronimus and he said that he was the one inside the Bigfoot costume that Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin recorded. That was his words. Mm -hmm. Roger Patterson, God rest his soul, he, he passed away back in 1973 from cancer. And Bob Aronimus has passed on too uh, in recent years, but Bob Gimlin is the only surviving uh, person from that day mm -hmm. over 50 years ago. I've spoken to him several times, played his interviews that I have conducted over fa over Skype and FaceTime and on audio for numerous uh, psychologists and people that do facial recognition and voice recognition that used to go and detect lies. Mm -hmm. And they have watched it, those tapes that I have of him and those audio recordings of our interviews over and over and over. And even whenever he was on television shows like Monster Quest and Finding Bigfoot, and they said they still have not yet to find any kind of deception in those interviews. He disappeared from the public eye after that because it almost ruined his marriage. The, the popularity and the public hunting him out and everything, because Bob Gimlin is just like me. He is a farmer. He deals with livestock. He's passionate about He loves his privacy. He lives way in the mountains in the Rockies. That man, almost lost his personal life to, because of this film. Yeah. And he didn't start talking about it until the 90s, uh, whenever someone asked him to be interviewed. Oh, so it's not like he had anything necessarily to gain. No, he didn't. By just making this up. He no. was coming right out of the uh, Navy. In 1967, Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin mm -hmm. released the what is right now considered the most famous video footage of Bigfoot. Anyway, getting back to, you know, the Patterson-Gimlin footage, it's been disputed since the day it was released to the public. Roger Patterson was taking it basically on tour around the West. There's been so many production companies with computer software that have gone and they have done programs on this, the film itself and they have tried to match the gait of the creature. No human can match the gait of the creature. Nobody can match it. Since it was filmed, no one has been, been able to recreate it or even make a costume that matched. And as we talked about with Zach, it would be incredibly expensive to try to create a costume like this, especially at the time. Yeah. Insanely expensive. There's three theories that I have. One, it's 100% real, and that day really happened. Two, it's all a hoax. Or three, Roger Patterson and Bob Aronimus was in on it, and Bob Yeoman was just the innocent bystander. That would be so mean. Yeah, that's the part that I'm afraid 
is real and that hurts me because it does me too yeah. and <laughs> you don't do that to somebody but you know you have to look at it this way though and you have to go with the first theory on it is because you know there have been so many kind of there's people saying it was a man in an ape suit well back then in 1967 the only ape suit you had was from planet of the apes with charlton yeah. heston well, but that was, was only from the chest suit, up. How, how, would they, how would they mess with the gate like that? You said that no human could recreate that. Pattern. No, there's people that have tried to go and um, recreate the stride. They even called in back then one of the top uh, prosthetic guys that make Hollywood costumes. And then he watched the film, he goes, there's no way that could be one of mine. It's too perfect. Right. It, yeah. it looked so real mm -hmm. that... If it was a suit, it had to have been so expensive to obtain. Exactly. Yeah. And then, I mean, you go and you look at the enhanced photographs that they have done because of that famous uh, frame where Patty's making that quarter turn and looking back as Roger was coming across the creek on his horse with his gun drawn because Roger's horse, as he said, blew up. And he changed that in his thing because he said that at a conference telling him what happened. And this woman said, how many pieces did it blow up into? <laughs> So in other words, as the as it went, he changed it because that's cowboy terms for the horse through it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he telling people that his horse blew up? So, well, it's just cowboy terms. But anyway, he, um, Roger said cover me, when he, which meant to get the rifle. He had a 270 Winchester bolt-action rifle. And uh, he went, and they crossed the creek, and whenever Patty, the Bigfoot, they dubbed her, made that quarter turn is whenever Bob was coming across the creek on horseback with that rifle drawn. Because if that thing turned on Roger, he was gonna put it down. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um. to save your friend. There were a lot of people that confessed to being the person in the suit, but a lot of people confessed this. So it's more of a, a want to be involved in the phenomenon oh. than any kind of evidence that so anybody was So it's not just Bob Hieronymus that that confessed it. There were other people. There were other. There were a other ton of people that confessed confessions, but <laughs> none of these stories ended up matching up with what they already knew was documented. Either they weren't in the area, or they were doing something else, and somebody else was co co that word again cooperating, corroborating, corroborating where they actually <laughs> were, and so they weren't able to be a participant in this at all. In my lifetime, I have seen both male and female. Okay, and. The females look just like Patty. Because of I believe once they hit a certain age of maturity, their body will go and develop. Right, mm -hmm. that makes sense. And so Patty, they went and they said, they actually, after the film ran out, they tracked Patty for two miles. And they said that she walked up this logging road and they found where she laid down and was looking down at them from a cliff in a moss bed. Ugh. Whenever they was riding up on horseback trying to track her. <laughs> And they called in people like Renee DeHendon, Ivan Marks, Grover Krantz, John Green to come in because back then those names, Roger Patterson, Bob Gimlin, Renee DeHendon, who was actually pro-kill. He was all for, he was a big game hunter and he was all for killing these things to prove their existence. And then you had John Green, who was a journalist, Grover Krantz, who was a professor of biology, and then Ivan Marks, who was actually from right here in Southern Illinois. And uh, he was a tracker, and he was darn good at it because he moved. He would go up to Alaska to hunt rogue grizzlies, 
that were attacking livestock and people. Okay. And he said in his documentary, Legend of Bigfoot, back in the 70s, he said, I was good at what I was doing because I didn't go and kill just any animal. I made sure we found the one that was responsible. Mm -hmm. So you had to be darn good at doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's the reason they brought Ivan March in. In the 1960s, this is kind of very shortly after the Bigfoot phenomenon really began, Dr. Grover Cramps of Washington State University examined casts and photos of proposed Bigfoot footprints. This is kind of, you know, when people started seeing the, the big footprints, some people would take pictures of them or um, would put casting material in them. And he was able to get a bunch in so he could examine them. Mm -hmm. He stated that one of the sets of casts uh, showed anatomical features of an injured foot Ooh. that had to have been made by a real upright walking primate. Or, if it was man-made, he said that an artist with expert understanding of foot anatomy had to have done it. Cool. So, it was not only a very real-looking foot, but the particular foot injury that he noticed in it had to have been real from something, a primate that stood upright, or if it wasn't, the person who created that cast or created the footprint had to have literally been an expert. And what are the chances that some doctor of primate foot anatomy is going to be hoaxing big Bigfoot? I can't imagine after I get my degree that I'm going to go out and try to fool a bunch of people. I don't think so. What a waste of time. Right? You've already spent enough time getting this degree. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to take it seriously. And anybody else with a PhD or a doctorate and an expert in anything, you're going to go out and try to be taken really seriously. Yeah. Because you've spent so much time working for it. It's Grover Krantz, the person that, that said this, right? There is another podcast that is actually done by his niece about Bigfoot. About no way. his Yeah. That's actually how I kind of got into the Bigfoot stuff as I was listening. I got to listening to that podcast. That podcast is actually the reason that I know about Anchor. It's technically the reason this podcast exists because I never would have known how to put the podcast out without this other podcast that is by so, Grover Krantz's niece. <laughs> Dr. Grover Krantz of Washington State University is our founding father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How <laughs> weird. Then they brought in, uh, as they said, they're supposed to have brought in like hunting dogs to try and track it and the dogs cowered away. They want nothing to do with it. I don't blame the dog. <laughs> Back in the 70s, over in Murfreesboro, the big muddy monster, yep. they called in and they found the tracks going into an old barn. And they called a guy that was a retired police officer who tra raised uh, tracker dogs, German Shepherd tracking dogs. And they then they would go and sick the dog on the on the trail. Well, that dog followed that trail right up to the barn and the dog tucked its tail and ran. And the man got really upset and he shoved the dog in the barn and the dog came fighting to get back out of the barn. Dogs do not like being around these creatures. You are uh, a member of, uh, what is it called, Southern Illinois Monster Hunters? Yep. Uh, do you ever go out with the intention to find a particular cryptid like Bigfoot? Um, well, for example, when we go out, because we did a night hunt here a few weeks ago for our show, Mysterious Illinois. We were focusing on this place up um, north of Thompsonville. There had been stuff going on on this property for three years. One of my cousins who's on the team, Ben Bishop, okay. he was actually there the first night all this stuff started happening three years ago. And um, it's on this property that sits north of Thompsonville. 
And um, we went up to um, investigate this, and we actually found what we believed to be a shelter, a nest. Ooh. And it was just made up of, like, deadfall. Um, and then... Uh, um, tell, tell the city slicker what deadfall means. <laughs> deadfall is a tree that's uh, laid over. Oh, okay. Where it's broke off like halfway up, but it's still rooted in the ground, and then it's bent over. Okay. No, this thing was just like if you watch any kind of like bushcraft stuff on YouTube and everything, you find like uh, where they'll go and they'll take where the tree is laid across the fork of a tree and they'll lay a tarp over. It was just exactly like that, but it was with limbs covered in dead leaves. Okay, so something, uh, human, bigfoot, whatever, something had to have pulled them down to make this? Yeah, would have had this pulled This wasn't the, just things that fell. No, no, they were placed strategically because you'd see where the branches were that was making up the A-frame was broke off. Okay. That suggests a pretty high level of intelligence. It does. I've grown up in the woods right. here in Southern Illinois all my life. And I look at that as a way, you know, if I want to get out of, out of the sun, out of the rain, the snow, I'm going to be looking to build some kind of a shelter with what I've got in the woods. And yeah. for as a Bigfoot, they aren't like us. They are the personification of primitive. Mm -hmm. So they would use whatever they could find to make a shelter, whether it's abandoned homes, barns, hole in the ground, so or making a shelter. Opportunistic. Bingo. Yeah. Exactly. And so, I mean, we went, we, before, especially when we do this, because we don't run uh, headlong, half-cocked into an investigation. <laughs> we, good. You'd be surprised how many people do that, Michelle. No, I don't think I would. You have got to be super, super cautious. Yeah. Whenever I first started my team, and we started doing field work, I said, put Bigfoot on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Safety is your number one objective, Absolutely. and getting out alive is your number two objective. Yeah. Right, because even if you did find him, he's got to be dangerous. Exactly. Yeah, it's got to be. For anybody that wants to go and, you know, really get into this, do your research of the area. Learn your wildlife that's in the area. Learn what the terrain is. Look for any kind of landmarks especially um you know compile reports set up like police do with a dragnet mm -hmm. and say this perp was seen over here at palikai and then he was seen up here at where uh, the southern used to be okay. and then he was seen over here at the co-op at murdale that triangle they're going to focus on on the inside of that triangle because that's where it might be at yeah that's what we do okay. we don't just go head on we go and we actually ask property owners around the property what they've seen and what they've heard and then we also we um, consult a shaman um, this is getting on the woo side of big for the supernatural <laughs> side but I mean this guy knows what he's talking about he has this technique and it's called map dousing he will take this pendulum and he will ask it yes or no questions and if it spins clockwise it's a yes and if it spins counterclockwise it's a no and he'll ask that, that pendulum over and over until that thing hits where it's going to be on a map. Mm -hmm. And he has these dousing rods, which he calls them unloaded. Because like with dousing rods, people use dousing rods to go and find gold, silver, mm -hmm. quartz, or even water. Okay. Because they'll put that in the tip. And when those dowel rods cross, that's where you're right above where the ore is or okay. the vein of water you're looking for. He does that on a map. He'll take it, he'll print out a black and white map. 
and he will ask that map questions. He'll say, for example, is the Bigfoot on this map? And then those rods will cross. Mm -hmm. And then he'll take his pendulum and he'll ask the pendulum, where's the Bigfoot on this map? And then that pendulum will go and like point in the direction on the map and he will draw across, he'll draw a circle and he'll do an X across that map of where that thing is. And he'll like find out that where the bedding area is, where there's directional markers, where its travel route is, where its lookout point is, and everything. And he is darn accurate on that. And then thing. you go there and you find the evidence of it being there. Exactly. Okay. And he's spot on. I mean, he did one and he asked, uh, he said, there's a nest here. And I said, well, how many Bigfoot are on this property that we need to worry about? And he'll go up in numbers until that pendulum starts mm -hmm. going counterclockwise. And then if it goes counterclockwise, he'll go down in numbers from one to however high he has to go. And so far, he found where there was five Bigfoot on that property. He'd never been to the area. He's never even met us except through a phone call and Facebook. The knowledge keepers of the Hoopa tribe in Northern California list seven sacred laws as the foundation of their people's relationship with nature. Nice. Each of these laws is visually represented by an animal, such as buffalo, eagle, bear, beaver, wolf, turtle, and Bigfoot. So they, the, all of these other animals are definitely real. The eagle, mm -hmm. the, yeah. w what else? Um, the buffalo, the bear, the beaver, uh, wolf, and turtle. So, yeah, unless, I mean, obviously they probably didn't call it a Bigfoot, but no. they, if they at least had something that looked like a Bigfoot, with this being sort of an ancient tribe in Northern California, mm -hmm. I can't imagine there are a lot of large apes or gorillas up there. I wouldn't think so. Where else would they see something? Like, they, they couldn't see something like that unless there That's was... a good question. And obviously they aren't going to create some mythical creature if every single one of the other creatures are real. Mm-hmm. Okay. So presumably they there was some creature existing that they identified as at least looking like mm -hmm. what we what, what we, we today Bigfoot. call is, is Bigfoot, yeah. Interesting. Okay, that adds a little more. Mm -hmm. A little bit more. <laughs> it's getting fun, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Members of the Lummi tribe, and I did look up that pronunciation and that should be correct. Um, they tell stories about their local version of Bigfoot known as the I looked this pronunciation up too, but bear with me. Semiquess. So their version of Bigfoot, they call the Semiquess. Okay. If I'm mispronouncing that, if you're part of the Lummi tribe, I'm so sorry. I tried. So the stories are pretty similar to each other, but details will differ uh, among different family accounts for the creature's uh, diet, eating habits, their activities, things like that. Mm -hmm. Some versions tell of more threatening creatures. There is a nocturnal race of sort of Bigfoot known as, and these I could not find pronunciations for, so really bear with me, known as Stiyaha or Kwaikwaiyai. Ooh, those are hard words. Yes. Children were warned against even saying the names uh, so that the monsters did not hear and come carry them off. That almost sounds paranormal. It sounds very Lord Voldemort to me, because we don't say his name, he yeah. who shall not be named. Yeah, it's very... Oh, you said it, he's going to be by... Yeah. The Toll River Indian Reservation in California, there were petroglyphs that were discovered by a group of yokuts. Can you tell me what a petroglyph is? Yeah, like a cave drawing. 
Oh, okay, okay. You know, you you probably saw pictures in your history book in grade school of like people would draw like a picture of a bear or and, like, a, a fox or something on the on the cave wall. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's I didn't all that know is. That that's what those were called. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So there's this site called Painted Rock, and where there is uh, this group of petroglyphs that depict what looks like Bigfoots, and they are called Big Feet. I think it's Big Bigfoots. <laughs> um, and they're called the family. They're known as the family. The local tribespeople call the biggest uh, petroglyph Hairy Man. <laughs> That's another super creative name. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and these are estimated to be between 500 and 1,000 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Um, if you or somebody you know has cited it, Tell us about your sighting. Yes, please. Uh, what was it like? Do you think that there was any possibility that it could have been another creature? Like, And let us know your percentage, too, what you think it is. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Rochelle. I'm Kaylee. And we were Paranoia, Paranoia Percentage. You can find us on Twitter at Paranoia Percent, Tumblr as P-Dubs Podcast, and Facebook and Instagram as Paranoia Percentage.